Welcome to the Rochester Area Heritage Society podcast, featuring our Back in Time Speakers series. For those of you who don't know the H.C. Fryglass Society, we're based out of Beaver, PA. Uh, we were formed in 1983 for the sole purpose of um, learning, preserving, and uh, documenting any of the history, uh, the glassware, uh, photographs, anything pertaining to the H.C. Fryglass Company. Uh, we have evolved quite a bit through the years. Uh, membership continues to um, hold steady. We have lost a few through the years, but uh, it still is, uh, again, for, for a, a single focus club, uh, it, we're very, very uh, fortunate. But uh, enough about that. I'm going to give you a brief history about the, the HC Fryglass Company. Most of you know uh, the Fryglass Company was located right up here in North Rochester, up on the hill. Uh, right at the head of uh, uh, the bridge uh, where it meets crosses McKinley Run. And they were in business from 1901 to 1933. Now, Mr. Fry uh, started out in the 1860s, actually, in Pittsburgh in the glass industry, though. He held several jobs through different factories, uh, starting out as a clerk, uh, to which he worked his way up to a few different sales positions in a few of the Pittsburgh factories before he got uh, the uh, bug to enter into the Civil War. He, he felt uh, obligated to fight for his country, uh, so he did a stint in the Civil War with the Union Army, and then uh, once he, um, the Civil War was over, he came back to Pittsburgh and he formed a, uh, another glass company with a fellow named Henry Lippincott, and they formed a Lippincott Frying Company in Pittsburgh. And that ran up until 1871 when Mr. Fry uh, decided he was going to go out on his own. He came to Rochester and he, um, from there, he formed the Rochester Tumbler Company, which ran up until 1900 when it was destroyed by fire. Uh, Rochester Tumbler was one of the largest manufacturers of glass tumblers in the world. They put out 75,000 dozen tumblers a week. That's a lot. Now, a tumbler, uh, when, I, when I mention a tumbler, uh, it would be a, a drinking glass, pretty much. They also did uh, decanters, uh, pitchers, you know, a whole, whole line of glassware products, canning jars, uh, different jars, uh, measuring cups, uh, but they're very prosperous. Well, when, when, when the plant burnt down in uh, 1900, Mr. Fry was displeased with his, uh, the uh, other, other members of the board and uh, the stockholders of the plant, they wanted to move the plant. Uh, so he withdrew his interest in that concern and he decided he was going to start his glass factory solely under his own command, which he formed the H.C. Fry Glass Company. And uh, as I said, that was up in North Rochester and uh, it became known as the largest and uh, most modern cut glass manufacturing facility in the world. They manufactured cut glass in the beginning solely. That was what got them started. That was what gained their notoriety. They were known to have some of the best uh, quality glass uh, out there, and they also supplied the blanks. When I say a blank, I mean the plain article of glass before it is cut. They supplied blanks, blown blanks, to over 30% of the cut glass houses in the country. So we're doing a lot of research on this right now. We've discovered a new catalog here recently, and um, not a catalog, but it's a journal. And uh, within that journal contains some very interesting information about some of the uh, companies out there, the big cut glass companies out there that were across the country that Mr. Fry actually produced glass for. And that's going to be quite a shocker when this gets all uh, finished up, the research gets completed, and we put the information out there. So 
Uh, but we're looking forward to that. But tonight I'm going to focus on um, the stemware of the HC Fryglass Company. Just like any other glass house of the time period, stemware was a, uh, a big part of their production, kind of the bread and butter if you call it. It was uh, very widely used and um, everybody had their own designs, their own twists that they put on different pieces, their own color combinations. But as I'm going to tell you here throughout the program, that some of the companies had uh, very similar designs and it makes it very difficult when we're trying to um, determine uh, what's fry and what's not. From what we know, uh, we, we've learned a lot by digging at the dump and Michelle and Jim I know have done a lot, spent a lot of time up there uh, over the last year, year and a half. Unfortunately it's mostly gone now but it is, it was a wealth of knowledge. Uh, we had the um, great fortune of being able to go up there for years and we excavated what's called shards and that's just broken glass pretty much is what it is. Uh, but we excavated pieces of glass uh, right out of the ground and that helped us to identify a lot of the products that we know today. There's a little bit of catalog information out there that identifies some of these um, pieces of stemware but not a whole lot. We're not blessed with a, a great supply of catalogs. Where they went through the years we don't know but uh, they're just not out there. We have a few cut glass catalogs. Uh, one catalog that shows a few of the stemware designs but uh, other than that Pretty much what we've learned has been uh, digging at the dump. And it's been fun too. <laughs> I always enjoyed going up there. Now you're going to hear me make a lot of references to, uh, I'm going to name a lot of these stems, okay? Without the, the, the documented information that I told you that we lack, a lot of these names have been made up by the club through the years. So they're not actual factory names. They're names that we have given uh, that we feel represent the design of the stem. So you'll hear some what you think are probably goofy names and whatnot. That's just what we have come to know these, these stems as. It's how we identify them with each other. And, and uh, you'll see that uh, the fry stemware came in just about every color that they made. We are missing two colors up here. Uh, one of them I do have a picture in the slideshow that I will show you. Unfortunately, I don't have an example. But uh, just about every color that Fry made, uh, you can find in stemware. Now this is just a representation of the colored glass stemware. This doesn't include cut glass stemware, etched glass stemware, uh, the foval stemware. That's, that's a whole other topic all in itself. This will probably bore you enough tonight that <laughs> if I brought everything else, you'd be sleeping. So uh, if you could hit the lights over there, and we're going to get started into the slide presentation. And uh, this is just my cover photo here. This stem here is what we call the twisted stem. This is probably one of the most abundant, most versatile of all the fry stems. When I say versatile, they use this in several different combinations as you see here. And this is named, of course, you can see here, if you look, you can see the delicate twisted stem. Uh, I mentioned earlier that, that we have to be careful sometimes because other companies did designs that are very similar. But when I look at this stem here, Fry's swirl, okay, comes three quarters of the way down the stem and then it stops. It's just plain the rest of the way down. That's the giveaway on Fry's twisted connector, twisted stem. Now, these could have come in any color combination and you can see here all the bowl. When you hear me refer to a bowl, that would be this part of the goblet that holds the liquid. You can see here this twisted stem came with all the different shaped bowls and they would have come in all different uh, sizes, different shapes for different uses. Uh, one line of stemware, and when I refer to a line, that would be, say this one right here would be the 7715 line, number 7715 line. This particular line might have 16 or 18 different sizes 
in the line, ranging from this piece here, which is actually right here, this is the tallest, or the largest, all the way down to a cordial, which would be a three-quarter ounce or a, um, a one-ounce piece here, which is the smallest. And there would be everything in between, sometimes only an eighth-ounce difference, a uh, quarter-ounce difference. Why they needed all those, I don't know, but they got names for each one of them, and <laughs> just amazed me. Here you can see a close-up of the uh, twisted stem here, and you can see right there, there are your twisting stops, playing all the rest of the way down. This is a molded stem, a pressed stem which means the, the hot glass was poured into a mold, it was then pressed, uh, compressed, and then it gives that shape and the uh, details that you see. Fry only produced one blown stem that is affixed to a goblet or a piece of stemware that we know of, and I have an example of that we'll get to later. But this is a pressed stem, and therefore all the other stems that you see from here on out will be pressed stems. This one here, uh, and this is the uh, red glass that I was telling you about here, the only, uh, one of the only uh, uh, killers that we don't have up here. Fry's red glass is extremely rare, extremely rare. There are only two examples known. This being one of them, uh, unfortunately I don't own it, but <laughs> uh, one of our collectors, uh, other collectors do. Uh, but we do know that they made red glass because of some other uh, pieces that we have found digging in the dump. And then uh, this piece here along with one you'll see later. But notice it's a Keller combination. You have the red bowl with the black twisted stem and foot. It's a really nice piece to see in person. And uh, it's, it's one I'd really get my hands on someday. <laughs> now this stem here, it looks like it could be fry, right? And it looks like the same identical shape, except this one has an optic. When I talk about optic, that's the pattern you see in the bowl of the glass. This would be a diamond optic. But as I said, this looks like the same. The bowl is the shape, same shape. The stem is the same shape. But notice this. Notice how that swirl goes all the way clear down to the foot. So we would see that out and that might confuse us. But as I said, the key to remember is three quarters of the way down the foot. This one here was made by Steuben Glass Company up in uh, Corning, New York. And it's certainly no slouch. Uh, probably actually triples the uh, the uh, Fry example in value. Uh, Steuben's glass is very collectible, very fine glass. But as you can see, I, I, whether or not the, uh, these companies were all copying off of each other, who copied who, although I think everybody else copied Fry. <laughs> but uh, but we're, we're, you know, we're, we're not sure uh, why there were similarities, uh, as there were with some other companies, which we'll also see later. Now another, um, another identifying factor of Steuben's stemware versus Fry Steuben stemware has what's called a ground and polished ponto mark. Now the ponto mark would be a circular concave ground mark which you would see up underneath the bottom of the foot. And what it is basically is it's a tool mark uh, where they would have the foot connected to the what was called the punty rod. They would take a little bit of hot glass when they were making that foot and they had to attach it to the stem because these are actually made and this would go with the fry goblets, goblets too. These are actually made in three pieces. You have the bowl, the stem, and the foot all three separate pieces that are joined together in the end. So they would connect that foot to the punty rod, and then once everything was assembled, they would make a, a, a they would take a, a glass uh, cut or, or a small diamond blade, and they would, they would put a little score there, and they would just tap that punty rod, and that would be what they would crack it off, they called it. And then once the uh, piece was finished, it was properly cooled, and uh, they would grind that punty mark off, and that was what left our ground and polished ponto mark. Fry's stemware, does not have a ground and polished pontal. Steuben's, some of the other companies do.
Fry's stemware does never, never has a ground and polished pontal, except for one example, and we'll get to that later. And there is a close up. You can see there the stem goes, or the swirl goes clear to the foot. Now, this one here, we could look at that and we could say, well, it looks pretty much the same, but it's upside down. Uh, maybe they just made a variation. No, this one is by the Louis Glass Company down in West Virginia. And you can see the obvious difference, but this has been confused. We've had you know, members that have brought this into meetings wanting to know if it was fry. Uh, but it is completely flipped upside down and a swirl goes top to bottom. So if you see that one out, don't let it fool you. The root beer barrel connector, we call this, the root beer barrel stem. As you can see, that's definitely a name that we have uh, assigned to this. It's not a factory name. Again, this is probably even more common. This is probably the most common of the fry stems that you will find. Not quite as widely used in uh, bowl variation with, uh, uh, as the uh, twisted stem, but still, just a, this is a very, very common piece of uh, stemware here. Now you can see some bowl variations we have here. This is the conical shape. This is just more of a, a cup shape. Now this um, bowl here is an octagon shaped and it has what's called a swirl optic. It kind of has a, a twisted, twisted optic. And here's a close up of our root beer barrel stem. It's comprised of three wafers sandwiched together there. Now there are two varieties of this stem. Why we don't know, but buckets and buckets, I mean hundreds of them have been found in the dump of both designs. They're not too far off, but they are different. And here's the next one. We call this the squashed root beer barrel because you can see here, it looks a little more squashed than the other one. This center wafer is a little bit larger. These ones are a little bit smaller and it almost looks just, just a little bit squashed. Uh, both are definitely fry, 100%, but uh, you know, it can't throw you off because they are different. If you get it home and you say, wait a minute, this one's a little bit different, but they, they are both 100% fry. And here you can see, the bowl variations, this is a round bowl, which is needle etched. And here we have the octagon uh, bowl. Now the octagon bowl, they're, they're hard to find. There's not a lot of them out there. So when you do find that shape, uh, you know, you have a prize there. Now this one here, I mentioned uh, that there is a similar stem by another company out there. Also in this line too. Uh, this is by a company called Central Glass Company. They're down in uh, West Virginia. Uh, this fooled me in the beginning too. I, I had the quite a few of these that I picked up and uh, come to find that they are not fry. Central Glass Company, uh, we haven't found anything yet, but I've always been very adamant that they had some type of a relationship with fry because there were uh, too many similar designs in uh, other types of glassware through the years, too many similar designs between the two companies. Uh, so I really do feel they had some type of uh, uh, influence there with each other or possibly maybe a worker uh, who was a designer, maybe left Fry, went to work for Central. Uh, now we do feel the Fry stuff was earlier because Central was a little bit later in the time frame there. But uh, so maybe, maybe they had a designer that left Fry and went to work uh, down there and kind of took some of his designs with him. But um, uh, very, very high quality glass, uh, certainly nothing wrong with it, but it's not Fry. But you can see here, again, the root beer barrel connector. Now Central's optic is a little more open, a little more um, spread out than fries. So that is, uh, you know, kind of an identifier there. And their colors are a little off. I know it doesn't show as much in the photo, but their colors are uh, slightly, just a shade off. Now here's a close up of the central stem and you can see it's, it's identical to the fry stem, really is. Now here's one of my favorites. This is called the square diamond stem. 
This is uh, later in the production uh, years of Fry, uh, up towards the 30s. And we know that not because we have documentation of it, but we know that because we can look at the, the design. There's a strong Art Deco influence there. Uh, Art Deco has real uh, distinct lines, uh, real cubist forms. So we can, we can look at that and we can say that this, this is definitely uh, later in the production years. Also, another thing that we, we can use to date this is when we would dig in the dump, uh, we would find these on the upper levels of the dirt. We could almost date things by the, deep, the, the depth and what we found pieces. Some things were down, you know, we, we've dug down three, four, five feet before finding glass. Now, there are two different variations you see here they use with bowls. This one here is a very rare form. This we call the Aztec pattern. This pattern is made up of very distinct V-shaped lines paired with the octagon bowl. This is a very highly sought after pattern. And on a side note, this pattern was designed by a fella uh, over in Beaver. He had his main offices over in Beaver, uh, right on the main street, a little small building still there today. But uh, this fella's name was Reuben Haley. And if any of you are glass collectors and familiar with the products of the Consolidated Glass Company at Coriopolis, Reuben Haley designed uh, one of their most famous and most highly collectible lines, Rubarombic. He also de designed the uh, Martelet lines, which is a lot of the sculptured glass that we see out there today uh, that was made by the Phoenix Glass Company. Phoenix and Consolidated, Phoenix over Manaka and Consolidated in Coriopolis, they um, had some back and forth relationships and they made a lot of glasses very similar in appearance. But uh, all, all that sculptured art glass that we see out of Phoenix with the flowers on it and all the colors, a lot of that was designed by Reuben Haley right over here in Beaver. And he also uh, did this design from Fry. Only two designs that we know of that he did for Fry, but this is one of them. Here's a close up of the square diamond stem. And you can see here, this is a square pillar shaft with three cubical diamonds stacked on top of it. Now, you want to keep in mind, with the smaller the size of the item, and this isn't true with all the stems, this stem only, the smaller the size of the, the, the stemware, the less diamonds you have. You can see in this one here, we're going down to a smaller size wine. This is a full-size goblet, and we only have two diamonds, all the way down to an ice cream dish where we only have one diamond all representative of the square diamond stem, just different designs fitted to uh, the size of the article. And here's a close-up of the Aztec pattern bowl. Now here is a uh, shard that I pulled out of the dump uh, several years ago, and I would love to find this because this is my favorite of the stems. So we do know that this was made at some point in red glass, but uh, there have been no um, intact example surface. Uh, right now this is all we have, and hopefully someday it'll turn up somewhere. Now, when you're down at the dump digging, we find some really odd colors, uh, or used to find some really odd colors, and we weren't sure what they were for. Now, I did come across uh, an opaque, orange, kind of pumpkin-y looking color uh, several times there, and uh, kind of always, it puzzled us, because we didn't know Fry making anything in that color. Well, then uh, one day we were down there and we found a piece of this orange glass and you could tell it was the bottom of a goblet bowl and it was attached to the top of a black twisted stem. And then we also found another piece that was attached to one of these stems in black. So 
that tells me again too that it's out there somewhere, that orange and black combination. Why they made that, was it, uh, you know, and why haven't we found any of it yet? Was it maybe a, a short limited run they did on contract for, uh, you know, they did a lot of contract work for companies. Was it maybe a short contract run that they did for somebody? Was it something that, you know, Halloween was big back then. Was it something they were making for Halloween? Uh, you, you never know. Now again, a very common stem. This is called the pulled stem. This was a, a, a stem that was made by literally, I think, every glass company out there. And they uh, still use today. But it's very, very hard to identify, very hard to distinguish. But if you study your colors, uh, that's really your best hope here with this, with this stem. That and the addition of any decor decorative uh, treatments that you see, uh, that can give you a, a definite identification. But um, again, the pulled stem is really, really a difficult one to identify. And when I say a pulled stem, when they made this, remember we talked earlier about the, um, the uh, stems made, being made in three pieces, the bowl, the stem, and the foot all being separate pieces then joined together. With the pulled stem, this is all one gather of glass where they would blow the bowl and then draw the stem out. So it's all one piece with the foot being attached in the end. And here we have a close-up of the pulled stem. You can see there's really no identifying characteristics there. Uh, you, you, just, you just have to, as I said, study your colors, get to know your colors, and uh, look for any, any, any decorations that you can uh, identify solidly as, as a fry decoration. Uh, another one that has a goofy name that we've assigned to it, the ball bat stem. Uh, why we call it that, I don't know. Who named it that, I don't know, but <laughs> that's what I've always known it as. The uh, ball bat stem is uh, one that I don't know has been um, uh, made by other companies. Uh, so if you see this shape out there, you can be pretty certain it's fry. Uh, notice the very graceful lines, kind of the teardrop shaped stem. A little bit of a gap down at the bottom there. There is one variation out there that does not have that gap. It's still, if you put them side by side, it's pretty, pretty dramatic difference. And again, these can be found in all the fry kellers. As I mentioned to you, you can see representation of all the kellers up here. Or in keller combination, and we'll get into some combinations uh, here coming down the line. But when I say the combinations, it, there were common combinations. There are a few rare combinations. Really, fry paired any keller with crystal. Uh, whether it was their amber, or their green, their pink. Now the more rare combinations would be pink and green. Uh, there's a pink in what we call azure blue. It's a lighter blue color. Or green and black sometimes is a combination. Those are all more rare color combinations that you would find. And there you can see is a close-up of the ball bat stem. And again, notice a nice graceful teardrop. Fry's uh, glass, and even this is even true in a stemware, he wasn't real big on um, big flashy gaudy treatments uh not a whole lot of uh you know uh, excessive ornamentation uh not a lot of uh, ruffled rims not not necessarily on stem where you wouldn't have a ruffled rim but on his other glass wasn't a whole lot of ruffled rims or stuff like that he was very simplistic but very elegant and uh, i think it's some of the most beautiful glassware ever made now this here you can see again we have the ball bat stem but this is a very different stem I don't own an example of this. I don't have one with me tonight for, uh, to show you, but this is called a ball bat stem with a filament running through it. Now this filament is just a colored piece of glass that runs through the center of that stem. And now this one is royal blue, and uh, we have found shards with examples of a red filament, uh, green filament, 
and we have found it in other stems too, and I'll point that out to you as we go along. But this here is uh, and one, the only intact example that has ever surfaced, and it's owned by another collector, but I was fortunate enough, to, fortunate enough to at least get a photo of it. And here's a close-up. You can see this thread of uh, royal blue, uh, would be known as cobalt to a lot of companies. Fry called it royal blue. He had, he had names, and these Keller names that I'm mentioning, these are documented. He had um, names for all of his Kellers. They, they weren't just green, blue, you know, yellow. His Kellers were very vivid, very, very vivid when you look at them and you, you put them uh, against other companies. Uh, very distinct, and um, he um, assigned them all with these names that, that also added to the distinction. Okay, this is a round ball stem. And you can see here, it's just basically a marble. And it's about the size of a marble too. Now these are hard to identify also. When you're out and you see these and you think, boy, that could be fry. You wanna, of course, look at your Keller again. But then the stem was made in a three-part mold. That's not common for all glass companies. A lot of times glass companies used a two-part mold. Fry used three-part molds. So when I say that, you can very, very lightly feel three little seams that would go around the surface of that, uh, that ball stem. They came in a few different sizes. Uh, again, anywhere ranging, like I said, from a marble up to about a shooter marble size. And they can be paired with what's called the pedal foot. And these, uh, again, were made by other companies. They're really hard to, to tell apart, but um, uh, that, again, that's, that's pretty much an experience uh, thing. You have to kind of gain the, the feel for, for the, the scallops and uh, whatnot. And here we have what's called the balustrade connector. This is not a stem. There's, there's no elevation there. This basically is just, we call it a connector because it connects the bowl to the foot. And you can see here, it's just like a little uh, squashed piece of glass, but it's still worthy because it still is an identifying stem of fry. It's a unique stem. And it can be paired with, uh, you can see here, the octagon bowl. This is a, uh, a round conical bowl. And this is another round uh, kind of a cup bowl. And I mentioned earlier the pink and azure blue combination you can see here is a uh, tiny azure blue connector there. Very, very rare combination to find. And here's a close-up of the balustrade connector. Aha! This is amongst the rarest of the fry glass stemware. This is... Um, what we call the striped line. We don't know a factory name or line number for it, so we call this the striped line. How they actually made this is still a mystery to us. We have some ideas, but no, definitely, no definite answers. This would be uh, part of their art glass line, um, which was a, a extensive line of different products that they marketed as uh, handmade art glass, which means there was no molding or pressing involved in the making of this piece. You can see here, this stem is similar to what we've talked about earlier uh, with the twist to it, with the only difference, this is, the, remember I, I said earlier, there's one blown stem that Fry made, this is it. You can see up here, a little bit of an opening in there, this is a hollow stem, uh, which is blown and then twisted to give it this effect here. This has an extra additional piece, this wafer of glass right here, so this would actually be made in four different pieces. So imagine the skill it took to blow this piece, to get it put together, while nothing really cooled down too much, to where the point that the, the different temperature glasses combining all together, one would break another if one was too hot. Uh, so these people here, you know, they were, they were really skilled, really skilled craftsmen. 
The part that we can't figure out how they did was this striped up here. Um, and I have one down here. Like I said, these are very rare pieces of glass here. You can see here, these stripes, how they did that, we, we just can't figure out. I have a few uh, uh, thoughts to it, but um, just, just absolutely gorgeous. And this striped glass, they were made anything from vases to, to uh, lamp bases to uh, uh, console bowls, candlesticks, giant platters. Uh, I have a platter at home, it's probably this big, and it's made like that. It's just a gorgeous piece. These were only made in about six different sizes. This is a, a dessert uh, dish uh, here that you see, which is also the same one pictured here. But again, they went all the way from a goblet all the way down to a cordial. Um, but, but only uh, not quite as many uh, variations in the middle there. And there's a close-up of that blown swirl connector stem, uh, or twisted stem, I'm sorry. And uh, this has a much finer ribbing to it than, than the molded twisted stems do. Now, here is uh, an example of what I think kind of proves, uh, now there's a lot of controversy about this when I talk about this with other club members, but I always tell them, hey, this is my opinion, I'm entitled, right? <laughs> so anyways, what you see here, you can see it's different. It doesn't have the wide striping that, um, that the other piece had. I think this is the beginning, but not quite finished, okay? You can see these black stripes going up here. Those are what's called threads of glass. So really what they are is just little strands, thin strands of glass. And Fry has some uh, different threaded examples uh, that I think I have one here and I'll show you that. Here's an example of the threaded glass. This is just thin strand of glass that they would wrap around the piece. Now I feel to achieve the striped glass, they laid these vertical threads of glass put it back into the furnace, reheated it, and that melted those threads out and uh, laid them out into the wider stripes. Nothing confirming that, nothing, uh, you know, definitely uh, uh, saying that's the way they done it. But here, nonetheless, there's an example. And this is another piece that I have. The striping can be found in um, every fry keller. Uh, this one here is in royal blue. Uh, we've seen pieces, uh, vases with the azure blue striping, with green striping, amber striping pink striping, anything, you know, all the way to the black and the, the purple. But this here is another rarity. This is the only known example. And again, I didn't bring this along with me tonight because it's just tough to bring those one-of-a-kind pieces out, you know. But, uh, but again, you can find your stripes in any color. Now, this is probably the hottest stem out there right now as far as fry glass. Another very, very rare piece. Um, and another one that we assigned a name to, we call this the Empire State Building Stem. You can see it looks like the Empire State Building. We wonder if possibly this was um, designed and, and made around, I think what, what Empire State Building was uh, 1929, 1930, I think. Uh, does anybody know for sure? 31. 31. Fry went till 33, so we do know that, you know, with, with the, the Art Deco, uh, uh, again, the Art Deco appearance, the, the, the bold lines, the octagon bowl, uh, we do know it's that, of that time period. And we can only wonder if that was, uh, you know, designed kind of along, uh, you know, kind of a representation of the Empire State Building. But this is a very, very rare stem. Uh, only a handful of them out there. These are the ones that the collectors want right now. We had, uh, I think, four of these at our convention, and I think they were among the first things to go. And they, they were not cheap. Keep that in mind, take a mental note of that, and you know, snap snapshot of that in your head. If you see those out, I would suggest you buy them. Call me quick.
<laughs> I'll tell you exactly. I'll tell you exactly what they're. No. <laughs> I'll tell you honestly what they're worth. No. <laughs> no, no. In all honesty, though, if you see those out, yeah. <laughs> and there is a close-up. You can see here. It's kind of made up of this vertical ribbing, and you have the peaks here at each level. I think it's really a nice design. And paired with that octagon spiral optic bowl. This is probably one of the most dramatic of the Fry stemware lines. Uh, and again, right up there in rarity with the last two that I've shown you, the Empire stem and the striped uh, pieces. We call this one the Cactus stem. And there's again another name that we had to make up for it. Um, this one here was identified through uh, shards from the dump site. Uh, also, we have a patent for this stem too. A uh, club member found a patent for this uh, particular design and uh, was within the last probably seven or eight years that these really started to turn up, that we knew what they were, we started to purchase them, but they're still not very commonly found. Uh, they're a very delicate stem. You can see it has the open in the middle, but then it has the three prongs on top there. We, we were talking about this at the convention when I did this program. I can't imagine that they made these much smaller than this size right here. If they went into down into the cordial size, which would be that size there, I, I would have to think that with this three-pronged stem with the opening there, the stem would have had to have been so small, I think it would have made it too fragile. We've never found one, and I question whether they ever made it much smaller than this here. But this would be a wine, uh, and they made these all the way up into a, a full-size goblet and everything in between. Again, that's another one you want to take a, a picture of that in your brain, uh, like the Empire stem that I just showed you previously. This is another one. If you find it, you want to pick this up and call me. <laughs> very, very dramatic, very, I would say, uncharacteristic of Fry. It looks more like something that maybe Morgantown, there was a company called Morgantown Glassworks down in Morgantown, West Virginia. They did a lot of stuff like this here, but uh, that is, uh, you know, like I said, it's uncharacteristic of Fry, but it is definitely 100% Fry. Kind of a, I'm going to say this, this is a boring piece. <laughs> but, they're hard to find, so that's why I put it in here. These came in, uh, I think, only two or three sizes that we know of that we've ever really been able to find, and only maybe two or three colors. I'm sure there has to be more of them out there, but again, it's just uh, there's nothing really interesting about it, but it is hard to find. The size that we know of is a juice glass. Uh, it's sitting over here on the table, and that's the example you see here, but it just has a, a, a little kind of a a pillar stem that just has just a little bit of a squash to it, slight shouldering. Again, nothing nothing real fancy about that piece, but but nonetheless hard to find. Dainty little piece. Okay, here we have what is called the um, squash swirl connector. Again, there's another name that we have given to it, but it best identifies this piece. You can see here has the uh, ribbing that have a slight twist to it. Now pay attention here to the ribbing and the way it slants we have a right-hand twist to these connectors here, okay? Now these are normally small pieces. They are um, probably uh, maybe about the size of a marble, which looks like it's just squashed a little bit. Pretty common, pretty common fry connector, and again, we're calling this a connector because there's no elevating shaft or pillar there. It's just a piece that connects the foot to the bowl can be found in several color combinations, and here you see the pink and the green combination. Pink and the green combination, on a side note, is very, very collectible. Very collectible, not only with Fry, but in, in the glass, glass collecting community. 
very, very highly sought after combination. Some people call it watermelon glass. And there's a close up. And again, pay attention to this right hand facing swirl here. And here is another uh, different shaped bowl. And then again, you have that right hand facing swirl. This squashed connector though, is a little bit larger and a little bit, a little bit wider in shape. And I have an example up here you can look at, I can show that to you when we're all done, but it's, uh, I included it because it's slightly different. If you go to the next picture, I think you can see here, um, has more of a squashed shape to it. Okay, now the reason I'm telling you, keep paying attention to that right hand facing swirl. This one is not by Fry, but this was bought by a club member. This was uh, made by the Bryce Glass Company, uh, another Ohio company. You can see their swirl connector has a left hand facing swirl. Another thing you notice there, uh, the, um, the ribbing is definitely not as distinct. It's not as well molded, a little more of a coarse rib than the fry stem. If you put them side by side though, it's, it's really easy to confuse. But again, the key though is that opposite facing swirl. And here is the, we call this the swirled ball connector. This is not the squashed one, this is the regular. This is a round ball. And again, notice the, uh, the right hand uh, ribbing. And um, this is a molded connector. You will find this connector used with vases, console bowls, uh, candlesticks. A lot of the times when they use it with the vases, it is a blown connector. Uh, it looks almost identical, but it's hollow in the center. And it's, um, I think it's a lot nicer than the molded one, but, but still this was a connector that was used in other items than stemware. This we call the wafer stem. You can see here, it's made of two stacked wafers different shaped bowls, different shaped designs, can be found in most of the Fry Kellers, but most commonly in the Azure Blue. Very, very elegant design. And I'm gonna grab one here. Some of these you look at and you think, did people ever really use this stuff? <laughs> you know? But I think they did. You know, but you can see here, this is a, a slightly different than the one that I have pictured there, but I brought this along with me. Same line, same, you know, just a different uh, size. You can see that and double stacked wafer there. Now this shape here, you have to be careful with because you can go to Macy's and buy that today. Mikasa makes one that's identical, but it's always in clear glass and it always has a real, real super bright gold or silver rim to it. But nonetheless, when I first discovered one of those, I bought it because it was at a yard sale and I thought that it was fry and I thought that it never really looked right because of that super bright gold rim, but it looked identical but it wasn't until about a year later I saw them at Macy's and I said, ah, no. glad I didn't pay a lot for those. Now here you can see is another example. This is very similar to that uh, green example that was in uh, the previous photo, but notice how the rim is flared out. So this is a piece here that you can find with either the flared or the cupped rim. They're very large. I don't quite know exactly what the use for these was. We never could figure that out. It's almost the size of a compote. Okay, now a compote would be something you would put candies in or, or you know, nuts. Uh, but it's almost the size of a compote, but it's not quite that large. So it's kind of an in-between size. We're not sure what the use of that was, but you can find it with this either cupped in or the flared rim. Uh, we do have some members that like to use these for martini glasses now. <laughs> I said, boy, if times changed, you know, you would have never had a drink that big back then. And there's one of the Mikasa examples. I just threw that in there. Um, you can see it's pretty much the same. It's, it's really a stumper. I don't know if they 
copied, uh, you know, had an old fry when they copied or, you know, where they got their influence for that. But boy, is it, it's, it's the same. Now this one here is a horrible picture, I apologize. But this is what's called our cogwheel stem. And I know this isn't colored glass. We're focusing on colored glass. This is an etched example here. These are very hard to find in Keller. Most of the time when you do find these, they are etched, but you can find them in Keller. I don't have one except for the next piece. I have a small cordial and this is it. And it's over here today. And we call this the cogwheel stem because you can see how we have what looks like a cog with the teeth there uh, sitting on top of the, the six-sided pillared stem here. Now, keep note that this notching here is only on the top of the stem, not the bottom. There is a variation out there. Again, Central Glass Company that has the notching on the bottom also. Fry's has the notching just on the top of the stem. And there you can see a close-up. Notice nothing on the bottom. Okay, on to the next. I think this is our final piece here. Uh, this is called the faceted ball connector. Now, unlike the regular ball connector that we talked about earlier that I said just looks like a marble in there, this one has facets cut in, almost like a lapidary cut. Um, you would see like a, a, a stopper on a cut glass decanter would have the panels cut into it. This stem um, has the faceted panels molded into it. Um, this is a pretty rare stem, pretty hard to find. Can be found in dramatic color combinations. Uh, I think they're just really, really nice. Round bowl, octagon swirl optic bowl, and here we have a close-up of the stem. It's hard to see the facets in the uh, photo here, but they are there. And this ball, the faceted ball, is always perched on top of that small ball of glass there. And here you can see the, look at those, those are just gorgeous. Uh, I would love to have those, unfortunately I don't. But um, these were cordials that popped up on eBay a few years ago, and I, I unfortunately didn't get them. But um, that is the faceted ball stem, and those are the only ones that we have never found that have popped up in, in a solid color like that. But uh, That's Fry's Royal Blue, and I think it's just a, a great color. Next one. And there again, as we've seen before, that octagon swirl optic bowl. And while we have that up with that nice bright background, I'm going to show you here, see if we can get a better look at that faceted ball. As you can see here, it's kind of slightly paneled. Not, not super distinct, but it is there. And then the last one, there's the faceted ball stem again and the beautiful red glass. This red is slightly different than the red we saw earlier, but this is the red that looks like it was used in Fry's lenses. They had a large lens department where they did a lot of automobile lens, um, uh, different signal lenses for different applications. One of the things you can always use is identify Fry's red glass. As you can see here, it's kind of orangish gold in the middle, and then it gets red towards the edges. That's something that we always see, even in the lenses. Uh, that's something we always notice with uh, Fry's red glass. Particularly in a thinner glass, you really notice it. But this is a one-of-a-kind example. A club member found this a few years ago, uh, several years ago. She found a set of six. She won't part with any of them. <laughs> and I wouldn't either. I don't blame her, you know. I always like to jag her about it, though. But uh, <laughs> she did bring that to our convention a few years ago. It was just really nice to see. Uh, it's a beautiful piece. And, um, again, why they didn't make more of it, I don't know. But it's um, those are the only two examples of the red that, that we know of, that, that one and then the one you saw earlier. And then, of course, the shard that I showed you, too. But uh, other than that... That is Fry's stemware lines that we know of. 
You know, we try to keep an open mind. I, I say, you know, 33 years in business, uh, I don't think we've touched the tip of the iceberg yet for what we, uh, what we know um, as to what they made. I wish there were more catalogs that popped up. I wish there were more, uh, you know, documents out there that popped up for us that we could, uh, that we could use as tools, but it's just not out there. So, um, you know, for now we have to rely on, you know, what we've dug at the dump and any new information we may find. But I always say when we go to an antique store, we probably rock, walk by uh, fry glass every time and don't even know it because uh, 33 years is a, 32 years in business is a long time. And, I'm sure they made more stemware than what you see here, along with everything else, picture, you know, pictures, uh, you know, bowls, vases, whatnot. So, uh, do we have any questions? Who would have designed all of this glassware? Again, we don't, um, with, with the lack of documentation that we have, unfortunately, we don't have uh, the names of the particular designers. Um, we do know of a few of them, and I'm sorry, I don't know their names off the top of my head. But... So they were specialists in every company that, that did it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. each company had their own designers. Now, when I say there were a lot of companies that made glass similar to Fry, and, and that goes with any company, you know, all the companies have their, their items that were similar to other companies. But um, the workers, not only the factory workers, but the, the office workers, the designers, the chemists, they all hopped around to different companies, whether, you know, just by moving, uh, you know, their family moving or whether the, you know, one company made them a, a better offer, who knows. But um, there was a lot of uh, inner workings that kind of commingled with other companies. Uh, one quick story that I always enjoyed, uh, I have a, a piece of paperwork, I have a piece of documentation that was a letter from um, a fella who was, uh, the assistant vice president of the uh, Northwood Glass Company. Northwood Glass Company did a lot of carnival glass, uh, a lot of um, uh, pressed glass, very, very popular, very, still very collectible to this day. For a short time though, they were located out in Elwood City. During their time in Elwood City, the uh, assistant vice president wrote a letter to Mr. Fry, and I have a copy of this letter. And it says that, uh, it tells, is informing Mr. Fry that uh, Mr. Northwood, Harry Northwood is traveling abroad on business and he will be in England for the next three weeks. Now may be a good time to come out to the plant and I'll let you go through Mr. Northwood's recipe books if you like. So, so you know, it, Mr. Northwood, maybe, I don't know if he wasn't uh, maybe uh, well liked by his employees or they certainly weren't very loyal because he was inviting Mr. Fry to come out and go through Mr. Northwood's recipe books while he was in England. So, <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of that went on with other, you know what I mean? Just like today, you know? So yeah, there was a lot of different, different uh, co-mingling within the companies. Any other questions? Yes, sir. You had mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, one pattern was actually copyrighted. And now we're talking about people trading proprietary information. Was there any move or any procedure to try to protect these things by obtaining copyrights or trademarks? There, there was. Um, one thing that we do know of a few different instances were with um, uh, number one, the oven glass, okay? There was a big battle when the oven glass came out. There was uh, uh, Pyrex, which was the Corning Glass Company up in New York. And then there was another company down in Jeanette, Pennsylvania called the McKee Glass Company. Those two, along with Fry, introduced their um, heat-resistant oven glass all around the same time, 1917. There was a big legal battle between uh, 
Fry and Pyrex in the beginning. Now, if you look at the early pieces of Fry and Pyrex, the shapes are identical. If they weren't marked on the bottom, you would never tell them different. Now, Fry's early oven glass, some of you may not know, their, their later oven glass, which um, uh, after, a few years of, uh, the cre after a few years of the creation of the oven glass, in the beginning, everything was what was called lime glass, which is just a, a clear with a slight greenish tint. And that's what all the other companies were making too. It was a borosilicate heat-resistant glass. Fry developed uh, 1921 their opalescent oven glasses, which we're, which we're all more familiar with today, to kind of separate themselves and stand apart from the other companies. And, you know, I just, we, my wife and I cook with it at home all the time. And I said, if more people knew about this stuff, I think it would come back because we, we, you know, we use it exclusively. It's just, it's nice stuff. But yeah, there was a large legal battle for copyright rights between Fry, Corning, and um, the McKee Glass Company. Now, whatever happened to that, I, I have a I have a legal book about that thick. I, I tried it. I can't do it. <laughs> so the outcome of that, I have no idea whatever happened, but they did make an attempt. Another attempt they made was with their cut glass. They did what was called, Mr. Fry developed what was called a figured blank. And I mentioned earlier about the, the, the blown cut glass blanks that he sold to 30% of the glass houses in the country. Uh, right around 1909, Mr. Fry uh, developed the process for making a figured blank. Now when I say a figured blank, essentially what it is is a piece of pressed glass. We've all seen the pressed crystal glass that we, uh, you know, the cheap stuff that you buy, you can go to the Goodwill store and it's piles of it there. What it is, it had the pattern pressed into the glass. So then when it went to the cutting shop, all they had to do was just kind of rough out and polish that pattern. Drastically, drastically sped up the process. With a, with, a, with a blown blank, they would have to trace out the pattern with a grease pencil on the blank, and then a cutter would have to cut the entire pattern into that plain blank with the figured blank that was all eliminated. The Libby Glass Company tried to also do a figured blank, but there was a big legal battle with that, which Fry did win that legal battle because he developed that process and patented that process. So there were some uh, copyright protections along the way, and I'm assuming a lot more than we know. but. Anything else? Yes. Suzanne. I was going to ask you to talk about the 64 glass companies that got together at Chautauqua. That, yeah, that is an interesting story, too. There were, um, and this came from part of our convention where we had the, uh, I, I mentioned earlier that there's some new information that's coming out. Uh, that we're not, we don't have it quite finalized yet, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but I can talk about Suzanne's question. There was a um, American Cut Glass Manufacturers Association, which Mr. Fry formed. To give you a little bit of a tidbit, one of the things that were interesting that we noticed about this is we're doing some research on this new information that we found. Every one of these cut glass manufacturers that made up this American Cut Glass Manufacturers Association was listed in this information of companies that Fry supplied glass to. So as kind of a, we'll call it a, maybe a schmoozing, he would take them every year up to Lake Chautauqua, and, and I have some photos of this, and we have some other uh, records of this, but um, he would treat them to a picnic up there on his, uh, he owned a house up on a lake, he owned a steamboat, and they would have a, uh, a weekend where they would have everybody up there, and they would just basically party all weekend. <laughs> From what, there's, there's some very detailed information of these weekends out there, but uh, they had a fry band, um, which Mr. Fry would take the band up for the weekend, and they would play from, from sun up to sundown and into the night, and uh, they would uh, all go out on a steamboat and they would have big corn roasts. And 
so yeah, Mr. Fry was, uh, I, I would guess, schmoozing these folks and uh, to keep them buying his uh, cut glass uh, figured blanks. So, yes. Terry, yes. Um, Mike, as with any collector, the thrill of the hunt mm. is is the a big part of the attraction. Um, how has that changed? You know, with you're talking about seeing items on the internet, but yeah. I know you still do the garage sales. Oh, I do, um, yeah. How has that changed for you? And you know, is it less appealing looking at things available online? You know, it's funny. I just talked to um, another member, Cliff Dietz, about this at the convention. I, you know, I said, is it? I said, is it more fun now, or was it more fun then? When you know, because we were talking about the internet, and, and he said it was definitely more fun then. You know, and I, I kind of, I don't know. I have different feelings um, than he does. We were also talking about, you know being new collectors being versus being more advanced in our collections because now obviously there are pieces that we see and you know we don't pick everything up anymore because you know we have examples and several examples so we kind of gravitate more towards the odd things or the rare things or different decorations that you don't have or so that makes it almost not as exciting but as far as the internet I still get a thrill of you know finding a piece online especially an unidentified piece that you know the price is right and you know, when the seconds are counting down and you're bidding on it, you still get a little bit of butterflies. But, uh, you know, honestly, though, there's nothing like walking into an antique store and finding a piece, though. You know, that's the ultimate. And then, you know, too, um, I, I really enjoy finding pieces locally, you know, you know that, that I can get a story with. Whether it's not somebody calls me and say, hey, my grandmother had all this, you know, come on up and look at it. And, you know, and I can get a little bit of a history as to who had these pieces, who brought these pieces home from the factory, maybe even who made the pieces, you know what I mean? That to me is something that, that interests me too, because I had uh, you know five family members that worked there, so you know I look at all this and reality probably no, but you know maybe they made a piece or two. You never know, you know what I mean? So you know that that to me, you know to, to get the history of a piece, uh, you know to, to find a piece locally to get the history with it, that's to me is the 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 pinnacle. But I do have a few pieces that are actually inscribed with the name of the of a factory worker that were family pieces that, you know, say uh, this fella, um, there was a woman and I talk about her quite often because she shows up in every photograph that we see. And I, I'm talking about Viola and his Radcliffe. She shows up in just about every photo we ever see, whether it's a group photo of, in the factory or whether it's a photo of the etching room or whether it's a photo over here, she seems to pop up in every one of those pictures. And I said, somebody must have, the guy that took her, the, the, the photographer must have really liked her. But, but they're also, I think the guys that worked in the etching department really liked her too, because there's about four or five pieces floating around out there with little, you know, uh, gift to Inez, you know, with her name etched on it or, or yeah, Inez Radcliffe. She, she, uh, and she lived out in, you know, North Rochester, right out by where the hydro plant was. And, um, but like I said, she must've been popular with all the the workers <laughs> quite a few pieces were made for her <laughs> quite a few photos too <laughs> well thank you very much i appreciate uh you um uh sitting here and not falling asleep <laughs> and uh thank you and on a, on a last note here i just want to mention feel free to come up and take a look feel free to take pictures and i just want to thank the museum board they gave me this little gift here as a uh, thank you Thank you so much. Michelle kind of must have been paying attention a little too much when I expressed how much I really liked these when I saw, saw these a few weeks ago. But, uh, but again, those will find a nice place in my cabinets. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that.
listening to a production of the Social Voice Podcast Network. 